Welcome back to another episode of the Levity Floatcast, and thank you all so much for tuning in. Some housekeeping before the intro of this episode. It's been a while since the release of our last episode with Lauren Kaufman, which, if you haven't heard yet, do yourself a favor and give it a listen. The feedback was very positive, and a few people even reached out to share how they took the next step towards a goal because they were inspired by Lauren's story. Honestly, give it a listen and you'll be really thankful you did. But with Troy leaving back in February, I've been struggling to fill the holes on the production side. Troy left on good terms. There really isn't even a story worth sharing. He didn't want to work for anyone anymore. Financial independence was always something he'd been striving for. So he handed off all his social media clients to Jamin and dove full-time into day trading So, now imagine a three-legged chair and one of the legs breaks. This means, in addition to spinning all the plates of running a business, being a father to two wonderful tots, and husband to a beautiful wife, I have to learn how to properly record these episodes and find an audio engineer to make them as audibly as smooth as butter. I'm even happy to share one of the more painful points in the last couple of months with this process. Two episodes Jamin and I recorded had to be totally scrapped. Guests came in, we floated, had amazing conversations, and all of which were completely unusable. One was with Josh Hamaker, lead creative of Scripted Minds, a man with over 75 hours of floating under his belt. The conversation was inspiring, informative, and shared his story and vision extremely well. The other guest was Larissa Russo, owner of the refillery. Really cool spot up the street on Murray Avenue, focused on minimizing waste and increasing sustainability. Larissa and I had a beautiful conversation, but these episodes were recorded incorrectly and ultimately had to be scrapped. In fact, let me read the email I had to send to Larissa. Hi, Larissa. I was writing to send this email. I was waiting to send this email until after I got the final edited audio from our episode. At the time, I wasn't sure why, but when I played the audio, your voice didn't come through at all. I sent the files to an audio engineer to diagnose and clean up. And even after a lot of editing, it's simply not to the standard of either of our brands. We're audible, but the quality is poor, and I believe releasing simply for the sake of putting out an episode wouldn't do our conversation justice. Last week, I had someone come in and test the equipment and narrowed it down to a faulty microphone cable. She shared it's the only reasonable explanation with intermittent signals being picked up. The good news is that I purchased new cables, had her create an audio template for future episodes, and will have all the audio leveled and mastered moving forward. Sidebar. Here comes the painful paragraph. I can't express how embarrassed and disappointed I am in myself. Both Jamin and I thought you, your story, and our conversation was amazing. I feel bad for taking up your time and missing an opportunity to share your story and great content with our audience. Now, there were some pleasantries to close, and we're aiming to reschedule Larissa for October, but typing that last paragraph in that email felt like a 
punch to the stomach. Um, but as painful as it was, that email helped me process something. I really don't believe in releasing episodes just for the sake of pumping out content on a schedule. The people invited to the studio are folks with amazing stories to share. These are people you don't just consistently bump into. Folks who have a story, want to share something they're doing in their life, and are comfortable coming on a podcast after an hour of sensory deprivation. These people are gems that aren't just easily found out in the wild. If you're jonesing for some of these stories, hop back in the archives and take a listen to Steve Sean, a Pittsburgh firefighter who fought his way out of depression. He started with a goal to run a mile without stopping and is now completing ultra marathons. Steve's journey all started with the decision to start fighting back against depression. Side note, Steve and his beautiful wife Tina are pregnant with twin girls, so lots and lots of love to them. Give him a follow on Instagram at Steve S-C-H-O-H-N. That's Steve period S-C-H-O-H-N. Dude's an absolute inspiration. Give him a follow and cheer this guy along. He's legitimately one of the good ones. You also have Jan Rasesky's episode, the founder of On Par Now, a golf space located on Smallman Street in the Strip District. With a corporate background, Jan noticed women were routinely excluded from a space where a lot of business relationships and deals are made on the golf course. She's created an inclusive and fun environment for everyone to learn and enjoy the game of golf. Listen to the emotion in her voice when she described the feeling of being on the last green with a group of women who just completed their very first round of golf. Jan's an absolute gem, and that moment is one of the magical moments on the Floatcast. These are things that just can't simply be routinely scheduled. Those are two great callbacks from the library. In the coming weeks, I'll, release, I'll be releasing round two with Josh Hamaker. His story is one that I didn't want to gloss over just because I screwed up the audio. So round two with Hamaker is in the final stages of production. Also fully recorded is a fantastic episode with Andrea Neiderheiser, creator of the Philly Street Candle Bar. An exquisite spot located in the heart of Indiana, PA. That episode is in the queue to be mastered by our audio engineer, and then Jamin will start creating the videos with the silky smooth audio. So, while there's been fumbles in the past couple of months, Jamin and I are doing our very best to bring you quality content and the stories of these amazing people. Speaking of amazing people, this episode, the show's producer, Jamin Thurman, steps in front of the camera for a chat. The timing was right for this, as his content creation agency is in a transitional phase. The shift is from creating content for various small businesses to more work with personal branding and weddings. With eight years out in the wild in this entrepreneurial space, I've had the pleasure of crossing paths with many creatives who've tried to make a social media agency financially stable. It's an extremely tough endeavor. And I think part of what makes Jamin special is his ability for objective self-reflection and bravery to reset the sales. 
These characteristics come through during our conversation. We also had some subs delivered from Peppy's for this episode. Jamin's always raved about Peppy's, and trust me when I say they did not disappoint. Working with Jamin for the past two years has been an absolute pleasure. He's insightful, intelligent, professional, and wildly created. Wildly talented as well. So thank you guys again for staying with us. And now, without delay, sit back, relax, and flowcast. I wanna relax, relax, put my mind at ease Good friends and good vibes, now that's all I need When life hurts, come down and flow to levity Let your problems wash away into serenity Whoa, whoa Oh, Jamin, Jamin Thurman introduced me to one of Pittsburgh's best sub shops, Peppy's. We just ordered and ate there. How did you come about, Peppy's? Where did that come on your radar? <laughs> Good question. So my dad was a plumber, and we used to live at this house in Brighton Heights. And on the corner up the street from us, there was a guy who was, basically, he was renovating a house. He had just moved into there with his wife. Unfortunately, he died of cancer, which has nothing to do with this story. It was just, <laughs> it literally just popped on my head. But anyways, one thing that if you ever worked with my dad, he was famous for was you were going to get fed. Yeah. So the first time I'm up there, I'm like, I think I was like eight or nine. It was me and my brother. We were working up there in the summer doing something. Might have been like demolition or something. And they were talking about, yeah, we're going to get peppies. We're going to get peppies. I'm like, what is peppies? I don't understand. And they're like, yeah, just get a steak hoagie, fries, you'll love it. Cool. They come back with this, and I was like, oh, this isn't an ordinary steak hoagie. This is great. And I've only, for the most part, had only eaten at the north side location, which I think is on Western Avenue. Western Ave. Yeah, Western Avenue. And yeah, it's pretty historical, like Pittsburgh restaurant. If you go in there, it's pretty cool in there. There's a lot of like photos of people who have been there who are famous and stuff, who have eaten there, Franco Harris and anybody from... That's anything from years ago. I was real surprised with her menu. It has an, we were chatting a little bit before we turned the cameras on or recording, but when you go somewhere, you find something you like, you kind of stick within the lines of specialty. But I tell you what, man, Peppy's menu had a lot of, a lot of field coverage from, you know, steak hoagies to old school, like Italian subs to turkey, chicken. I don't think you could really pick a bad hoagie there. I'm sharing that to still say how impressed I was with the blazing saddles. That sub was amazing. The bread was soft. It was like a pillow cloud. Delicious. The steak was on point and it came so old school, man. It came in a brown bag. Come on, man. You can't beat that. You know, like anytime you go anywhere, if you eat at the restaurant and you look at the menu, their menu is in chalk. Okay. It's like a board and they write the menu. You go in there. If the menu's kind of janky, even though theirs isn't janky, but like if it's not electronic, it's not a screen, you're in for it. You're in for it. You know, you're going to get some good food or better yet. If you go to the restaurant and they have like, it's like the little light board and they have to like slide the letters over, you know, the food is good then too. Oh my God. They're not wasting time on anything other than the food. You know what I mean? There's no look at like 
Oh, the best, man. And what I also really liked was I ordered a small French fry, and that was at least two handfuls. Just thrown into a bag. It's beautiful. Like, what, what more do you want? We, we got everything cleaned up here. In a matter of 30 seconds, we were done eating. Like, no one wants to mess around with plates or boxes. Wrap that stuff up and throw it away. I loved it, man. That was definitely a good suggestion. And it's been around forever. It was well-timed, too, because uh came out of a float. That was your first one in two years. Yeah, it was. How was that for you? It was great. I mean, I, I came out very relaxed. I mean, I started off today as sleepy as always. <laughs> I yawned like five times when we were getting set up. But afterwards, yeah, it was very relaxed. My back was hurting, and now I'm I'm good. Well, I think it would be really interesting to see you from the pod when we last did an episode of All of Us. You've lost a significant amount of weight, man. You've been in the gym. You've been working out. Yeah. Physically, how did it feel for you floating this time? Oh, it's, it's amazing because I think one of the things that happens when you're to actually get anywhere with your weight loss, you kind of have to get in tune with your body a lot. So I was I definitely I was definitely able to kind of pinpoint you know, what parts of my body were hurting. Like before I would just say, like I just said, like I had back pain, but like, where is that back pain? Like, why do you have it? Like I had back pain. It was like upper right side. It's gone. And a lot of that just has to do with some of the exercises that I do. So yeah, it feels good, man. Like I've, <laughs> I've seen plenty of people float here and heard all of the stories and it matches up just with what I expected. So I think it's one of those interesting things that I would like to kind of hear what you thought of it prior to getting in the tank. Because I think a lot of people that even will listen to our podcast and listen to these episodes, maybe they've floated, maybe they haven't. But I think it's real important to share perspective that they can maybe tether to and uh, understand that ah, I thought that was maybe a little weird. It wasn't for me. What was it like for you before you floated? Or what were your thoughts? Before I floated, I was I was definitely nervous about it. It wasn't something I wanted to try, really. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you remember that. I did not jump right in to do it, even though you had like offered us free floats just to try it out. My first experience of ever hearing about flotation therapy was watching Stranger Things with Eleven, Eleven. in the first season. She was in a sensory deprivation tank. And I would say it's oddly similar to that, though. Like, at least for me... Like, even the first time I did it, even today, I feel like I was viewing myself in third person. Like, I was watching myself inside of just an abyss of darkness, which is a, a pretty cool feeling that, like, you hear somebody say, you're like, well, what does that even mean? You just got to try it. You just got to try it. You really do. It's something that's so difficult to identify as and to say that, like... We just had a really good sub and just talked about how good that is. Everybody listening could replicate. Like, I know what a good sub is. You never have bread like that until you have that Pepe's bread. But they can kind of tether to that. But when it's like you can look at yourself in a third person and be reflective and look at yourself objectively, your actions, your thoughts. Other times you just hit that blank screen and check out. But like, it's one of the best tools for mental health and wellness. And uh, especially, it's interesting, as, as an entrepreneur yourself, as a business owner, someone, co-owner of 
a social media agency, the amount of stimulus and time you have to spend online, you're the perfect demographic to check out for an hour because we're always running hot. We're always running hot. And for all the entrepreneurs and business owners that have come through, it's like, man, just an hour to escape and get away is a gift in and of itself. Starting a social media agency company. I'm fascinated. I really want to talk to you about this because I think it's it's an interesting avenue. It's an interesting career path. As a business owner, I've brushed up against a lot of these agencies. But before we get to that, what were you doing before you created content? So this really started, I got a degree in chemistry and I worked in a lab as a technician for five years. I worked in plastics and basically we work with what are called reactors. It's basically like a, a big pot, if you could think, stainless steel pot. And there's like an injection port on there. And there's just a bunch of tubes that run into it so that you can put different chemicals into your reaction. And then there's like a stir, which they call like an agitator. And so we would run those reactions from a computer, which is pretty cool. All the stuff we worked with, all the chemicals we worked with were pyrophoric. Basically means that they would react and catch on fire with air. So everything you use was either like suspended in a solution or was in nitrogen. Yeah. You were on some Dr. Evil shit. It was a dangerous job. We definitely had the most dangerous job in the, in the, in the building. I'll put it like this. We had something inside of our reactor room called a blowout wall. So basically the blowout wall is just a wall that's significantly weaker than any other wall in the building and in the reactor room. And so if we ever had an explosion, the explosion would go out following the path of least resistance. So you'd be surprised that, you know, you find some similarities between like shooting and chemistry, stuff like that. So from that, I was working there and I would say two years into working there, I really got into digital marketing. And I took a course on that. I ended up getting Google AdWords certified and I got nowhere with it. Like I never got a single client from doing it. I think when I caught Google AdWords, it was kind of, it was already not only like appropriately priced, but like most businesses didn't feel the need to use it that much either. And it was like, if you already had it, you're good. If you didn't have it, you're not losing clients because of it. Like you're not losing customers to the point where like you're really affected that much. So that kind of made me transition into social media and Facebook ads. So I learned about Facebook ads. I bought a bunch of courses on that and started trying to do like digital marketing. Couldn't get a single client for that. It was very difficult to sell somebody on like, <laughs> you know, even to get like a free trial, you still need, there still needs to be money spent on the ads themselves. It's not like where you're shooting content, which you could do for free, which is it ultimately became my idea for like, well, why don't we try and like pitch people on shooting content? David was already a photographer at this point. He was shooting film and he shot digital for a while. And I was starting to get into video. I was like, I was getting a handle on it a little bit. This is like 2018. I'm like, why don't we just start offering businesses a free photo shoot or a free shoot for content and then hit them with, oh, by the way, we can also help you like market this too. And inevitably, we just dropped the digital marketing side and just stuck with shooting content, just liked it a lot more. 
I'd like to take just a trip back and revisit the blowout wall. And the fact that that had to be in your building where you were working tells me that it had to have happened a significant amount of times that the engineers and architects of the building were like, when we have this piece of machinery, the probability is it's going to fucking blow up. So let's just make a wall that isn't as sturdy. That's wild. I think that progression of what you shared to the steps of Google AdWords, Facebook ads, trying to use those platforms for marketing, you're very wise in recognizing those are two different roads of collecting content and then the art of marketing that content. What was it that drove you to say, you know what, let's just, that social media, you know there's a lot of meat on the bone there with courses and there's things and it certainly works but what kind of said you know what let's just let's not stress with that marketing side and let's just collect content i think at the time honestly it was just one we couldn't convince anybody to do it we couldn't convince anybody to like try this out and really like i felt like the clock was ticking because every day i was at my job i just hated it more i still i look back at that job fondly now because i understand uh understand the opportunity that I had at the time. And it was a cool job. I mean, especially now when I get to talk to people like, oh, I do this and I used to do that. Like the looks that I get are like, how did you do that? (laughs) Which is pretty cool. I also want to circle back to the blowout wall. There was never an explosion ever. (laughs) We just had extremely good safety standards. Like I never even worked there where somebody got hurt. Right. Or it was like world-class. Shout out to my old job, which will not be named. But, right on. Yeah. I'm just fascinated by the blowout. When they're like putting, putting a building together and they're like, well, you know, it's, you, procedures are that we have this Dr. Evil Gizmo 2000 here. Uh, we got to put a blowout wall. I just, it fascinates me. We'll talk about that more <laughs> off because as fascinating as that, that sounds so cool to yeah. me. And just the reactions and working for like it, that's that's lab level stuff. That's the technician stuff. That's like mm-hmm. that's so exciting, man. I, I think it's really cool. And uh, as a business owner, I can I can also you know appreciate how a lot of businesses don't. I can put on the business owner hat and share that as you're a practitioner and collecting and doing the marketing as a business owner, I know a lot of business owners feel like, well, if I'm paying this person, I shouldn't pay for any more. I could see how that'd be a really tough sell for anybody to try to say, well, I'm going to collect your content. So this is how much it'll be. And then in addition to that, you're going to need another, you know, X amount of dollars to market. So collecting that content is film something you've always had an interest in. I would say it kind of started back when I was 13. I did this. My mom used to run an after-school program and a volunteer program at the Children's Museum. And there was a there was a workshop I did in the summer at the volunteer program. And I didn't want to be there at all. My mom and dad just did not want me sitting at home. Smart. Wasting away. Mm-hmm. So I got some volunteer hours in. But there was this workshop called the One Minute Junior. Anybody that enrolled, basically you got tasked with making a one minute short film and you would basically help each student that was in the class with you help with their film and you'd play different roles. Some people was, some people were like the camera operator, the grip, stuff like that. 
And then you would edit with the staff. They would help you like edit your film at the end. And at the time I used to skateboard, I never really got that good at it, but I made a skateboarding video and that was the, that was my first experience using a camera. It was my first experience like recording myself. I could look back at that and realize afterwards, I was like, this is actually pretty cool. I don't have the money for a camera. I don't know if this is something I'll do forever, but I'd like to get back to this someday. And eventually I did. And it's funny because I got to, I got to the point of wanting to shoot videos and I started watching videos about how to shoot videos. And one of the guys I was watching, he had a marketing background while I was learning digital marketing. And the way he explained certain stuff, I was like, oh, I get it. Like this, what you're making is a tool. Like you're making this content because it's a tool to, to do something, to sell something. And it kind of reframed the way I shot videos after that, because it started making me think about, okay, like there's time limits, there's aspect ratios, there's, you can play with the fact that Instagram loops their videos. Like you could kind of make loops now, like our big thing back then was like Instagram stories and like vertical video. So I framed myself as a vertical video creator. In a space where most people weren't, IGTV came out around that time too, and most people didn't care for it, but I, I probably made like 40, 50 videos on IGTV in that first year. So I don't even remember what the original question was. I'm just ranting. No, you're good, man. That's good to unpack. I was asking if you if you were always interested in film. Yeah. I, and I, that's a great story from, you know, age of 13 and how you got started and into it. So before... You're working in a lab as a technician, real solid job, good good environment, good people. When was it where you were like, I'm going to change? I'm going all in on a media agency. Is there an event that happened or something that triggered that progression in your career? I knew I wanted to go full-time for a long time because while I was there, there was a lot of downtime and they didn't micromanage you there, which was good. They're more of a modern company kind of like the tech bros. <laughs> but I had a lot of downtime in my job. In any moment I was there, I was just watching videos about how to market, how to make videos, how to shoot photos, how to get better at this and that, how to do better at running social media, all of that stuff. I knew I wanted to do that, but I wasn't making nearly enough money from any. I I don't I don't think I made that much money while I was working there. But I ended up getting laid off. Because we had some big management changes. There were a lot of overlap. I was getting to a point where I was training people how to do my job. And that's when I kind of knew, like, writing might be on the wall. But fortunately, I had been shooting for two, like a year or two. And I was comfortable enough to be like, all right, if this happens, I can kind of hit the ground running. So I got laid off. And that's what happened. I did hit the ground running. And it was a good couple of months. I think it's in those situations where you look back in a de something detrimental like that and someone hears, well, I got laid off. I'm sure that wasn't a pleasant experience for you, even with something in the foreground, something to then go on to. What was that like? I'll be honest, getting laid off, I was excited. I cared for like, I, I say this and it's not hyperbole. Like I really mean, I cared for like five minutes and I was just over it because I had been looking for a way out and... There was a lot to them hiring me at the age that I did. So 
for context, when I got out of school with my degree, I was 19 years old. So I had been working in a lab that usually most people go to college for that young. So there were a lot of things that like, there were a lot of expectations of me to like go back to school, try and become an engineer or a chemist or something that they sort of thought would happen as my path. And that was kind of the, that was kind of the risk they took in hiring somebody as young as they were. I get that. I never ended up going back to school. I enrolled back in school, but I never ended up going. And I had been looking for a way out that wouldn't ruin that relationship too. And they just kind of made the decision for me. I mean, I got a good unemployment package. I got a great severance. My only issue is they laid me off four or five months too early because I got laid off late 2019. Yeah. So I hit the ground running, like I said, for just a few months. And then the pandemic dropped. Like I, I remember going out of town with my cousin and it was like February and we were just getting reports and news and this and that. And I'm like, and like it's Ebola, like it's not a big deal, like it, it's just. And then they started canceling stuff, and I was like, okay. And then when they hit us with the lockdown, I was like, oh no. I'll I'll tell you the funny thing, I didn't really think it was real until they pushed back the screening of James Bond. It was so, <laughs> that was where I was like, oh. Oh, wait a minute. It's serious now. <laughs> it's serious now. I was like, oh, this is crazy. And then like all these like conventions and events I wanted to go to were like, yeah, no, nah, we're not having this. And then they, they dropped the mask mandate and stay in place and lockdown. I was like, this is crazy. I'm like, there's a game on PlayStation called The Last of Us. And I was like, are we about to live through that? Not even to go too far down the rabbit hole, but like one of the levels in there, you go to Pittsburgh and it's desolate in quarantine. It's just crazy. Gary's at the door, by the way. Okay. So looking through, just got laid off. Yeah. I have this in the foreground. You're in a social media agency. My guess is that level of, oh shit, that, that hits in the reality of like, everything's closed. What was that like? What goes through your head then? Because while that, while that layoff, it's, it's, you know, sometimes breaking up's the right thing to do, man. And sometimes knows the wrong answer. And that your old company said, listen, we're just moving on. Blessing in disguise. Maybe it, it bothered you five, five minutes or so. But now you're ready. You're hungry. Okay, the reins are off. Let's run. Let's go. Things shut down. Yeah, that was tough. Because... You know, with some of that unemployment money and severance, I invested in a lot of gear and I was ready to go. Like I shot, we shot a commercial in January and it was like, it was the first commercial that we shot or the first piece of content I shot. It was like, all right, it was planned correctly, was formatted right, like did a lot of logistical like invoicing that was good, a whole shot list. I mean... I didn't have that much experience at that point. There was like 14 people in the room and I'm like directing all of them and smash. Like it was a great shoot. It was, it was great. Everything was formatted correctly. The was paid on time. It just went so smoothly. And I'm just thinking it's January. We're just getting started. We just shot this commercial for this like high class barber. I'm like, just we're good. We're great. And so having the rug kind of sweep from under me like that was, it was devastating. It was devastating. It's it's hard because I was now at a place where there's no backup plan the same way. No safety net now. None. Big like, boy time. You could go get a job, sure. 
you could go back to school, you could do all these things, but it's not as simple as it once was. You're now relying on this income to go out and fight for work. And inevitably, it it just didn't work out for me and we didn't shoot for months. Uh, I think you even, you emailed us in January or February. Yeah, right before the pandemic about trying to work together and it just didn't work out because you shut down too. So I ended up doing DoorDash for most of that year, honestly, because I didn't fully go full. It took me a while to recover from that. I think in that time, I think you've probably now looking back, you've probably had glimpses of the universe smiling upon you because the one TikTok video you shared with me that went viral, were there any moments of validation in that year of being off and things closed down where you look back and like, ah, all right, that was the world saying like, there's cracks here up in the sky. There, there is, there's light up there. Were there any moments like that for you when, I mean, you had to just be on, like thinking through it, man, that'd be a very frustrating thing. Were there moments when you can look back to say like, all right, that was the universe winking at me? I'd say so. It was hard to view it that way at the time. But like you said about like the TikTok going viral, like that, that changed my account. I mean, before that happened, I put out like a hundred videos and that was a lot of work, but that was the first time, like I just made the decision. All right. I'm like, I'm going to start documenting my time in this lockdown because it is historical. Like it may not happen again in my lifetime. Like it's, it's pretty crazy. Like I, I was 25 or 26 when the pandemic started. I was like, I may not see this again. So let's, let's just make some stuff. And yeah, that, that went off and there was a lot of, there was a lot of positive feedback for me doing something like that. And it's interesting to look back at that now because, you know, like we, masks were not a regular thing then. And so like you'd see people downtown, it was like few and far between of like wearing masks. You're like, whoa, like you see this stuff in movies, but like you don't necessarily think you're going to see that in real life. But it let me know that, okay, I should probably be making a lot more of my own stuff because I can actually build on top of this. Like, I inevitably kind of burnt out of it as we kind of went to to, to green. Uh, I just got very tired of making TikToks. It was, it was exhausting for me. But it's still something that, like, I know I want to do in the future. I have never wanted anything more than to be a YouTuber. It's not the case anymore. But just the idea of being paid to make your own stuff, still very appealing to me. So it was nice to finally have a taste of that for something I had wanted to be since I was like 12. Yeah. I, I think it's fascinating because it's in those times of frustration and when things look down that you're downtrodden and it hurts and you're, you're looking for something that faint points of validation will come to you. But you have to be open. You have to keep working. Had you said like, well, you know, the, everything shut down. We're, we're not going to get any new. We're not going to acquire any new clients right now. Businesses are closed. There's nothing we can do. Had you put your camera down and, you know, just put it off to the side and went just DoorDash or picked up something else, like you would have never gotten to the point where you are today. And looking back, I think it's important for our audience to remember that like, those little points of encouragement, you might not get what you want right now, but if you keep working, if you keep doing it, if you keep practicing and learning, at some point, things do line up. New social media agency, pandemic, we go to green. 
Here we go again. I can run release the parking brake, ready to go again. What's it like trying to acquire new clients, meeting with people? Talk me through that. What's that like as a new social media agency? It's still tough because nobody had any money. And the people that did had money, the people that did have money were worried about spending their money and it not meaning anything because they're going to shut down again. So that was very difficult to navigate. Like I said, it took me a while to get back to full time creating and making stuff. I don't think that happened again until the following year, 2021, at some point, just because of it was just difficult. And there were two of us, too. So. Even though we were both providing a service, we still needed to be paid to survive. So there was a certain uh, price threshold that we had that was hard to get met. It was it was tough. I, I think really you have to look at it and say, you have to look at those situations and, and think to yourself, like, is it worth it? And can you see yourself being happy from, can you see yourself being happy if the situation was better? Hmm. How so? Like, can you exp unpack that a little bit? So it sucks because... Quite frankly, it sucks because you come home and you look at what you have to eat and you're like, this isn't anything. This isn't what I'm used to because I had a job. You look at a bill that needs to get paid it, and you have to call the bill collector and say, I can't pay you today. That sucks. Mm. But would you still like to do the thing that you're doing if the conditions were better? Because it's easy to be like, well, I don't like this thing. But really, you're kind of confusing that with the conditions of you doing a thing make you dislike it. Mm -hmm. So let's say you weren't in a pandemic, would you still like to do that thing? And if the answer is yes, you kind of need to like push forward because if it's your if it's your dream, it's the thing you want to get done, like it's what you want to accomplish, like if it's part of your legacy, it's what you want to put out into the world, it, you kind of have to do it. You don't want to live with regrets whenever you're too old to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Or if you don't have if you don't have the ability to do the thing that you can do right now. And it's, I mean, honestly, like, it's a great story to be like, hey, we hit our stride, like, in the pandemic. One of the hardest, like, you know, like, it's one of the hardest times for any business. Well, I think you said that really well and definitely identified some really key points that I think are important for people to understand that I think when people create a social media company, and this is for me, in my experience and brushing up against others who have created them, that they think, well, there's so many businesses out there and every business posts on social media. So that's all my client list. I think people lose perspective of how difficult it is. Number one, to acquire those clients, but twofold, even just as difficult if the content created and collected doesn't show the results that a business owner thinks it should but has no real indication of social media or how it works. Like collecting all this content and you put it up and it's an amazing vertical video and it looks real crisp and better than anything that was presented by their brand before, but because they haven't posted in three months, only 15 people see it and eight of them like it. Business owner's going to look at that and be like, oh, well, look, it's not getting the thousand reviews that the other one is or things like that. I think it's such a difficult avenue that so many people just think if there's a business out there, that's an opportunity for them and good for them. And you can do 100 cold calls. But the truth of the matter is 
small business owners, the successful ones are really mindful of where their dollars go. And I just, I think it's so tough. So for you to share that, which you came from a secure area of a nine to five that you went to school for the regular two week paychecks, the benefits to the point where you go. And now you're creating your own, you're in your own craft. You've left, let go of the wall of security and making your own way in the world, that there's going to be realistic times where you open up the fridge and you don't have to eat what you want to eat. Or you look and say, which one of these bills am I going to pay now? Which one can I afford to pay now? Which one can I put off? I think that's one of the very unsung things of entrepreneurship, small business, and especially that social media agency. Because I don't want to go down this rabbit hole. But with the amount of artists, photographers, and people that are just within my circle, a lot of them get ripped off. A lot of them get ripped off. I've heard, a, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a dozen times, where someone shows up, collects all the things, edits them, sends it, and never gets paid. It's, it's a tough go. It's a tough go. So I'm glad you shared that other side because so many people just want to say like, oh yeah, I got, I got all these clients and it's great. When the reality is like, it's a real grind. It's a very real grind. So there's a progression, I think. I've worked with you for two years, man. I, I absolutely adore you. You're, you're such a good person. Even more so on that is to see your evolution as a business of where you're taking it from small businesses and somewhat like personal brands to now you're transitioning into something that I can hear the excitement in your voice when you tell me about it. What's in this new chapter? What are you guys doing? So the next move for us is to kind of transition to doing weddings. I think that just to create context as to why anybody has ever talked to me has known that I had no interest in shooting weddings. I had bad experiences shooting them, and I only shot two. And they were experiences I was not trying to have again at all. Like, I hated weddings. What went wrong in those two? If you can just pick a handful of things where you go. The first one, it was just because it was our first wedding. We didn't get paid that much for how long the day was. And to me, it just wasn't worth it. Equitable. Understood. Yeah, and just wasn't worth it. The second one, I was far more prepared for it, and... They did something very strange. We were at the rehearsal dinner. We were ready for everything they were going to throw at us. And during the wedding, they did a prayer and then they were going to do the final kiss. Well, they decided to do like an extra like prayer or something after the first prayer and didn't do the kiss. So I stopped recording. So I stopped recording. And then all of a sudden they do the kiss. And I hit, I hit the record button like right before, literally right before I got it. David missed a shot. Like to this day, the photo that they got of them kissing is just a screenshot, screenshot from our video. Also, when I was importing the footage to edit it, the only shot that I could not find was the kissing shot at the ceremony. It's to me, it was like it was too much pressure. It's high pressure. It's it was too much pressure. I'm not lying when I said I have literally shot everything. Like there's you couldn't name a single category I haven't touched. Like, I mean, when I started, we were shooting BMX stuff. Like, we shot extreme sports. We shot parkour. Like, mm -hmm. we shot real estate. We shot commercials, local and small business. We shot food. We shot product. We shot weddings. We shot everything. So, for me, it's created a spectrum of, like, 
I'm now at a place where I can say, I want to do this, but I don't want to do that. We shot fashion. Like, we've done it all. I think it's funny that the thing that I avoided will probably create the most consistency in my business I will have ever seen. And I will see all the things that I would say no to in a wedding day. I'm going to see products. I'm going to see there's going to be fashion stuff. There's going to be everything is going to appear in the wedding day, but I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it. I, I look at it as like for businesses, you now have to look at whatever your product is or whatever you do is a pandemic proof. Yeah. That's at least how I look at it. It's now. new. Yeah. And so what I saw was while commercials and all the things I couldn't do during the pandemic, all that stuff was shut down. Weddings weren't. I mean, people were getting married with like groups of 10 people, some masks in a park and a live stream equipment. And it was documented and people were still getting married. Some people, of course, postponed them, but most industries got completely shut down. And so I see this as it's pandemic proof. It's also a cool way to network and gather like the networking opportunities from the first wedding I shot in three years, which was back in June. I mean, we got like five different connections in one day that were fruitful already. And I can't say the same for other industries all the time. So yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. There's a lot of money to be made in it, but there's also a lot of beautiful work that you can make in weddings. That's where I think having a couple wedding photographers come through and being friends with them, I think what in our conversations, what separates you from them is kind of the procedure that you were sharing with me. Let's say I want you to shoot our wedding. How does that look? What happens? What are the steps? Walk me through that. Because in my eye, I saw that as so much more than what I've heard from others and so much more purposeful that I was like, God damn, home run. Yeah. So one thing, I guess, to create context to that, I am, uh, I have a very obsessive personality <laughs> disorder. So basically when I get into something, it's like, I know I not only want to be the best at it that I can be, but it's all I take in. So even while I wasn't shooting weddings, I still watched a lot of wedding content. I still watched a lot of how people book weddings, how they communicate with the couples. How do a bunch of people do that? Not just one person, even courses on like even courses on like how people run their wedding business. I've taken them. I've downloaded that. So the process that we use is like somebody would say, hey, I want you to shoot our wedding. We then send them a link to our contact form. They fill that out and then we send them a brochure. And so inside of the brochure, we're basically we're playing around with the way to do the pricing structure. But for now, we're kind of have like a flat rate and then you just get a bunch of stuff, a bunch of coverage, hours of coverage. Of course, you get photo and video, you get drone coverage depending on the venue and the weather that's already included and you get standard eight hours of coverage all the stuff delivered in six to eight weeks oh and you also get like a highlight video and a digital photo album of course but then we also kind of made like an a la carte section so like there's some people that they're the thing that they want to see the most of are the toasts so then we can make an edit of the toasts and for these a la carte options to work we shoot as if they're going to buy all of them there's also like a ceremony edit. If you want it, we're going to use multiple cameras. There's going to be audio equipment. 
That's all included in the base package. So we're going to shoot it as if you're going to buy any of those. And that was just a that was just a theory. I know other people do it, but like you have to execute it at the end of the day. It doesn't matter how much stuff you educate yourself on. If you can't execute, it's just an L. Like you're just not going to get it. I mean, we got a wedding inquiry. I sent it out and somebody booked us. And I was like, all right, this is this is this is like, all right, this is probably the right move right now. Somebody else just randomly said, hey, I'm getting married. And he's like, oh, by the way, it's in Outer Banks. Would you do that? I was like, of course. What do you mean? A wedding? Twist my arm. Yeah, a wedding on the beach. Yeah. Do it for free. I'm not going to. Easy, easy, sir. Like, yeah. It was like, of course I would do that. So I, I'm kind of trusting the universe on this one. Like, I think everything was kind of pushing us to this, this direction. We first started talking about that. And uh, you're right, pushing you in that direction. Because as you, as you noted, the things you've already shot, from highlight reels for personal branding to athletics to fashion, all of that is shot in such a way that I feel like those were your years of training. Because one thing with both you and David are so personable and care about what you do and put your heart and mind into it because you're not going to share some of these things. But I know the amount of work that just you I'm I'm always interfaced with you as you're here part of this project, but I feel confident in you know speaking on behalf of how much work David puts in as well and how much you guys do and how much you care about the work. And knowing that a wedding is a one day thing, like home run, I just it's such an exciting thing because for the last two years, the time I've known you, it's it's been a lot of hustle of and the thing too is when you shoot a wedding, it's going to be tailored to what the couple wants and what, what you talk about, what you communicate. But that's going to be your style. Whereas in previous clients, as great as they're all to work with, they all have their individual styles. This one likes this a little more. This one likes that a little more. This one likes this, or why don't you use that? Or this is the kind of copy I want for this. Whereas when you're shooting a wedding, that couple is getting their one of their most important days of their lives captured through the lens of two professionals that really care. So when I hear people talk about certain equipment or, you know, how many assistants they have with them, I don't think any of that trumps the amount of care, attention, and love that you and David would put into the project of someone's wedding. I mean, you've shot one, you've shot a few, and like, I just think, man, that's a home run. Because like I said, as we love everybody and all of our small business friends, sometimes it's real hard to get excited about a pair of, you know, fashion, like pants, like, all right, I'll do it. And there's, there's, there's purpose there and I'm helping. But at the end of the day, when you're talking about someone's most important day, that's got to light something in you. That's got to light something in you to really want to do a good job. A lot of pressure though. A lot of pressure. Interesting, man. I, I'm really, really excited to see maneuver into that side of your business because like I said I just people who book you guys are going to be lucky you're doing purposeful work that you feel fulfilling with it's it's certainly exciting wrap up here in a couple more questions but as someone now who's is an entrepreneur that has their own business for a few years touched on a little bit earlier but what do you think are some misconceptions that people have about running a social media agency Mm. 
I would say you don't really have as much time as you think you do. And that time is earned over over time, the time that you actually do get. I think it, it took me a while to even get to a point where like I can have the luxury to roll out of bed and just do an email or like have days where I say I'm taking the morning off. Took a while for that just because you have to like there's a there's a stigma of like, oh, you're supposed to be hustling. And of course, you are supposed to be hustling because that's what it takes to get to what you want out of entrepreneurship in the first place. And it takes you a minute to get to a place where you understand that it's okay to hustle, but you need to hustle to create consistency. Like you don't need to hustle for the sake of hustle because that's what's branded to you. And I don't think people, I don't think entrepreneurs who are way up there really properly like contextualize that information because I was confused by it too. I just thought like, oh, well, you're supposed to be this busy. You're supposed to be like frantic. And it's like, no, like they are in a position where they have created consistency through having clients that they work with month to month on retainer. All companies do that. But if you don't really realize that because you're just so caught up and you're supposed to be hustling, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to have a hard time. Like you don't have as much time because you're spending it trying to get clients. You're spending it trying to get work. That's tough. Like that's that's a that's something if you're not ready for. Here's another thing too. I think one of the biggest things is like a lot of times, especially like creative types, tend to be anti-establishment. Like they tend to be forget the man. I'm just gonna do it my own way and this and that. But honestly, like that structure and stuff that you learned at your job, those emails in the morning, those meetings, those calendars, all that stuff that you hated at your job is the one thing that will separate you from Joe Schmo down the street. It's huge. Like, and if you're not ready to become the establishment, I mean, you're just going to have an identity crisis. And that's, it's a big deal. Like your business is not only, your business is you because it's a reflection of you. So like when you're doing bad, your business is probably going to do bad too. It's just how it works. And if you're not ready to move to a certain level, well, then you're going to introduce like, self-sabotaging behaviors into your business. And if you're not ready for that, like if you're just like, oh, I'm not going to do that meeting. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to be on time. Well, then you're not going to have a business. Mm. That's it. Like there's there's really no getting around it. If you want to play at a certain level, you have to start introducing some level of formality into what you do. That's a perfect segue into my next question. If you were to create a leader in a video game, what are the top three characteristics you would create for a successful business leader? I'd say I don't I don't have an order for these, but I would say communication being a huge one. I guess communication, time management slash efficiency. And I don't know if you can consider it an ability, but I would say like the ability to manage expectations. I think those will be huge communication for sure, because that's that's how you're going to network. That's how you're going. That's what people are going to interface with when they're talking to your business, trying to get your services. If you can't communicate like clearly, and if you can't do that on time, you're just not going to have a good business. Time efficiency and stuff like you, you really have to start looking at how much time you're spending on certain tasks in your business too. Because like for me, editing takes up most of my time. So I know whenever I get to a point 
editing is probably one of the first things I'm getting rid of. Like I would have somebody else do for sure. You've shared with me some of your editing stories about the, and I, I feel like I can share this and it doesn't become boasting as much as it provides validity of the amount of care and attention you put into your work about the amount of time it would take you to pick a song. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's sometimes I've, I've spent like, that was my day of work. Yeah. Was finding a song for a video that will be played 30 seconds on somebody's feed and they'll never see it again. It will be into the abyss the following day. That's that. But that matters. Like mm. it, it, those little things actually do matter. They add up because it's not the song that you choose. It's really the fact that like you cared enough to put in that much time for that thing. And a lot of times quality shows, but like for something like art and stuff, a lot of times people can't put their finger on what it is. They just cannot like there was I, there was a video I did recently. It was like a, a football camp and there were people playing basketball, too. And I was having trouble, like putting together, like, how do you get how do you get from football to basketball? Like in this video, because that's also a thing, too, like your video needs to flow like the content needs to make sense. It needs to be enjoyable. There's one point where, like, there's a guy who throws a pass after a shot is made after he gets a rebound. And then what I did to transition was just use a football pass. So it looks like when he throws the ball that the guy throws a basketball and it transitions to a football. Mm. That kind of stuff, like you either you either see that or you you take the time to develop the skill to see that. I mean, it's taken me years to recognize that that's even that wasn't even an opportunity for a transition, but it just adds to a layer of like, oh. Wow, you did that. I always, every video I touch, I always try to have something that's like, oh, I didn't expect that. Like yeah. there's, I always try to have some sort of wow factor. I mean, everybody's attention span is like two seconds. Mm. Like you gotta do, you gotta do something cool. Mm. You have to. Probably next to the last question, but I, I think it's important someone with experience and on the other side of success and doing it for a career. Why do you feel... Or in your opinion only, what are your thoughts of why some social media agencies make it and are become sustainable, become part of the, you know, routine and others just fall off? I say one of the biggest reasons is because it's easy to get started. I mean, you could just buy a course on Udemy, a $15 course about how to run a Facebook page, how to run an Instagram page. And from there, you will you'll know more, but you'd probably have far less execution. But there's a there's sort of a there's sort of a like skill gap that's hard to understand with with creative stuff. Like there's something intangible about it mm. where when you're posting online, if a business is doing well on, online, the only thing people interface with are those posts. So most people, if you're not watching their every move or know what you're looking for. It just looks like they're posting good content. Mm. I, I mean, I've, I've put good content on people who can't like, who cannot distribute that content well. And it tanks, mm. it tanks. And if you don't understand, if you don't understand what you're trying to say when you're making the thing, or if you don't know how to distribute the message properly, it fails. Mm. I, I took a course once, it was on videos and what the guy said was 
content is king, but distribution is queen. And I was like, yeah, that's the perfect way to put it. Yeah. I've, I mean, you could make a killer piece of content. It could be literally amazing, but at least in past couple of years, you could be like one or two hashtags off. You're not viral. Mm. Like mm -hmm. you, you may just get one like. So true. And that is so concise. Content is king and distribution is queen. Probably the last question, man. Thinking through and uh, hearing the bumps along the road of, you know, trying to start off and then letting the marketing side go, going to collecting content, getting laid off, and here we go, rip roaring, and then another another stutter with COVID lockdown, and then running into these. It's tough, man. It's tough to get high quality content collectors as the same as it is to find high quality clients it's a tough it's like dating out there when you're trying to find those business relationships very tough now you're getting ready to pivot into i think it's going to be amazing i'm so excited for you but that said all these bumps and hiccups and kind of stutters what is it that motivates you and keeps you moving forward i just love the craft really i think that it kind of goes back to my point before of where I was saying you have to look at your business and the business that you made for yourself and say that if you had more favorable conditions, would you still be doing it? And I still would like even even the days I don't feel like shooting for clients and, you know, shooting for other people is not my favorite thing in the world. I still I just love shooting like I just. I just love taking something that I thought about and was like, oh, that would be a cool idea. Like finally getting to that place too, where there are on a certain level, there's few things that I can just look at and be like, I can't do it. And I think a lot of my, I knew what I wanted my videos to look like four years ago. I just couldn't do it. Like I just didn't have the tools. I didn't have the know-how. I didn't have the reps in like where I was, where I thought I was killing it four years ago is like garbage now. Mm. <laughs> and that's, that's good for me because now it's like I could take something that I just thought about and just go and make it and do it. And I can do it in a very efficient amount of time. Like what I can do in a day now, I love that. Mm. I love that. Like it's it's still my favorite activity to do. Mm. Just making stuff. I think at heart, I'm just like a producer. Mm -hmm. I just make stuff. Mm. That's all I've ever done. Mm. Just make things. So I just love doing that. And I see a lot of what I'm doing right now is just a path to eventually getting to a place where I'm just getting paid to be making stuff that I want to make. It's the dream, man. Yeah. It's the dream. That's the dream. James, it's so good to sit down and talk with you, man. I can't tell you from, I mean, from when our paths crossed a little over two years ago, I've been saying it, I'll continue to say it. And you're the best, man. I, uh, I don't hand out compliments lightly. You've always just been on the fortunate side of getting them. I just, I think the world of you, I think you're far ta more talented than you understand. And uh, watching your progression over the last two years and looking forward to the next two, man, I'm so excited. I have absolute all the love in the world for you. And Peppy's is on the map now for me. Peppy's is fire. I'm, I'm glad you, uh, <laughs> I'm glad you got to experience that. Awesome, man. Always a pleasure to sit down and get you on this side of the camera, but love working with you, man. And likewise, thanks for listening. Felt we'll be back uh, with the episode. We're out of here.